welcome to Chapter 3 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Patrick Young, CIO at Lincoln Community Hospital and Care Center. In this segment, he talks about the challenges and opportunities that are unique to the rural health setting, why, in spite of its flaws, he's still a champion of the Meaningful Use Program, and the network that rural health leaders have built to collaborate and share best practices. Looking at some of the other um, challenges from a rural health standpoint, well, I just kind of want to let you talk about what, what you feel are, are the challenges and also the opportunities when you're in a rural health setting. So, you know, the, the big challenges that you probably hear, like, you know, all over, I kind of alluded to one of them. It's hard to find good staff. It's hard yeah. to find people that, that are good at what they do who want to come out, um, you know, give up a lot of the amenities that they have in more of the urban areas to provide care to patients. That also offers a great opportunity for people as well. If you've ever had an opportunity to work in a larger healthcare organization, you'll find that a lot of the job skills are very siloed. You know, like you have your one area of focus. You do not delve outside of those areas because, you know, the people sitting to the right and left of you are going to help you along the line. So if you do find somebody that's willing to come out to the rural areas, you do really you have an opportunity to become a, a jack of all trades. You may get lucky enough to become the master of some of them, but you are going to be, get exposed, you know, both on the clinical side and on the administrative side to things that you may not have seen otherwise. So it's a challenge, but it's also a good thing. Um, funding. Funding is, is a huge problem. I won't get into the, the billing aspects of critical access versus uh, pay-for-performance hospitals, but the way that we are paid by Medicare, which is our, our biggest payer, two-thirds of our patients are Medicare, um, another 15% of them, 20% of them are Medicaid. That doesn't leave a lot of room for commercial insurances. But the way that Medicare pays my critical access hospital is different than it pays the University of Colorado Health System that's located in Denver. The whole methodology is different. We're cost-based reimbursed versus they're paid 100% on their volumes. So funding is, is a huge problem. 86, you know, pay-for-performance hospitals haven't closed in the last couple of years. Critical access, they have. And whether those doors are closing altogether, whether they're getting gobbled up by larger health systems to maintain, you know, like at least a footprint in the area, it, it kind of runs the gamut. That all kind of funnels into each other. When somebody comes from an urban area to a rural area, they have an opportunity to do more with the patient, to do more on the administrative side. But they're also having to do more, more often than not, with less. And, you know, we, we have the same constraints that some of the larger organizations do. We're a 24-7 facility. We also have the added, I guess, benefit and detriment of, you know, I know who all of my patients are. I don't provide health care to them, um, you know, on the IT side of things. The way that I help people is by facilitating that patient experience. But I know who all I know who everybody that walks through the door. I'm usually on a first name basis with them. So if I've got good news, bad news, or or otherwise, I know who you are, and I have to deliver that news just the same as I would if I didn't know who you were. So it, it does add a layer of complexity. HIPAA is also a big challenge as a result of being in a rural organization. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say that I've heard more conversations involving patient care, like out in public areas, that I probably shouldn't. But just because of the nature of how, how we provide health care, it's almost impossible to stop all of those interactions from happening. We've gotten a lot better, but it is just one of those challenges you don't necessarily think about. Yeah. And then you have some of the logistics side of things, uh, bandwidth, access to Internet. All of healthcare is done on a computer nowadays. And, you know, not having at times reliable access to Internet at my facility is a challenge, but some of our patients can't get bandwidth to their homes. Mm. So one of the initiatives that we're looking at right now is trying to find funding or, or programs available in our communities to help kind of get that last mile 
fiber or DSL or whatever circuit that we could provide to our patients, trying to get that last mile so they can actually have, you know, reliable bandwidth in their homes to take advantage of some of these services that we're talking about. But I think if I had to put it into a nutshell, it's we're being asked to do just as much as everyone else with an awful lot less resources and a lot of the, uh, the regulations, the compliance guidelines that are, that are kind of being doled out in Washington, they're very much directed towards the larger organizations and those larger organizations are who they have in mind. But the same regulations and compliance issues fall upon us and we kind of feel like we're overlooked more often than not. Yeah. If we're not looking out for ourselves, there's nobody else looking out for us. Right. And I know that we've seen some changes with, with Meaningful Youth 3 as far as some of the uh, timelines and the requirements, but I imagine, though, it still is very frustrating that, that the way Meaningful Use was designed and carried out, like you said, it didn't have small hospitals in mind. Well, I'm a champion of Meaningful Use. Um, I, I, if nothing else, it got everyone using an electronic health record system. Those systems were rushed out. They were, they were in times poorly designed. There wasn't, it was, it was kind of like the blind leading the blind, a meaningful use stage one, of course. Oh, it, it was horrible. I feel like stage two, modified stage two, it kind of gave us an opportunity to correct some of those mistakes. But there were some political things that took place during the implementation of those two stages that kind of changed, again, that moving target, kind of changed the, 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 some of the things that we as healthcare organizations had to, had to achieve. I believe that with the move to you know, MIPS and MACRA, more of the quality-based side of things on the physician side, I feel like we're going to see a little bit more of a positive outcome than we did with meaningful use. There's a lot of talk out there right now that meaningful use is dead. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's dead, but the regulations that we're talking about right now, I don't feel like are going to be in place when it comes time to do the attestation at the end of the year. I feel like it's going to be different than what we're talking about right now. Right. Um, I think that some of the some of the more basic challenges of meaningful use, like you know the, the patient portal, for example, while our population is getting much more ingrained in using digital technology, we still have a very large percentage of our population who don't ha own a computer, who don't have access to internet, and then some people who just don't care. So some of the simpler guidelines, like okay, well, um, you know, you have to have a very large percentage of your patients not only have a patient portal, but they have to be using it. Mm -hmm. Well, how are, you how are you going to hold me accountable and then penalize me for something that is 100% outside of my control? It's counterintuitive. Um, and those penalties that are going to start coming into place, we'll do stage three attestation this year. So if, if we don't achieve it, you know, we're going to start seeing those, uh, those payment reductions in 2020. If you, if you add in the payment penalties that could potentially be you know, tied to something as simple as patient portal use, in addition to the, the sequestration of funds, me being a cost-based reimbursed healthcare facility, that 1% to 2% could be the difference between my doors staying open and us not having a hospital in Hugo, Colorado anymore. I, I don't think it was a very thoughtful implementation of, of, a, of a program. A lot of my colleagues are kind of referring to it as meaningless use. But I think at least at the core, it did get everybody using an electronic health record. Now we're all trying to dig ourselves out of how haphazardly it was put together. But I think it was something that had to happen. Could have been done better, still could be done better. But I am an advocate, even though, even with some of my answers, I'm an advocate of the program. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, and, and it's an mm. honest way to look at it. So for you, uh, your previous role, you were with uh, you know, Colorado Rural Health. So you talked about how you, you were familiar with Lincoln because of that experience. And I imagine it also was a really 
very good experience in other ways to kind of help prepare you for this role. Sure. Prior to going to the Rural Health Center, I was an IT director at two other uh, critical access hospitals, one in Kansas and the other in Colorado. So I was very familiar with the challenges that those particular facilities were dealing with. When I came on board with the Rural Health Center, it was part of an initiative to roll out IT services to the rural healthcare organizations across the state, hospitals and clinics alike. One of the things that astounded me, and it shouldn't have, I mean, that was probably just my lack of experience at the time, was that not only the challenges that I was familiar with at the two facilities I had come from, were they impacting the, you know, the healthcare organizations respectively, but it was every hospital I stepped into. There may have been a small variation of the challenge, or, or there may be a, a little different situation, but the overall concept, the overall theme of the challenges were, were identical. You, we probably could have just swapped logos on the facilities mm-hmm. and, and you know, walked in and it would have been the exact same experience. It was an eye-opening opportunity, and it was a fantastic way to kind of increase my own personal network. But it was uh, the Rural Health Center. They're doing some fantastic things. I think that Colorado is fortunate to have a, an independent state office of rural health. They're one of the three states that aren't tied to an education system, a government entity, or the state themselves. They are truly independent. They're doing some fantastic things, especially with quality. They're, um, they're kind of leading an effort in data aggregation and informatics that a lot of your other state offices haven't even began to touch yet just because they can't. They're very hamstrung in what they're able to do through their larger affiliations. Okay. And... One of the other um, things that I've noticed in speaking with uh, people who are from rural health organizations, though, is that there is kind of a bond. The other people who are in your shoes at different organizations mm-hmm. know the unique challenges. And have you built up a network as far as uh, different uh, CIOs or directors at rural health organizations? Absolutely. It's a very small family, very small family. Actually, uh, I became familiar with you through uh, one of my colleagues down at Mount San Rafael Hospital in Trinidad, Mike Archuleta. Oh, right. Um, Mike and I have been working together for quite some time. We we are a very tight-knit community, and I would say that I've got mentors across the spectrum. I was fortunate enough to, at my first hospital to work under an IT director that was very knowledgeable, very compassionate, and uh, very driven, kind of uh, taught me the the right way to approach things, and it's actually where I take my adage that I can learn anything from anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. Everybody out there does something better than me. It's just figure out what that is and, and appreciate them for who they are and what they have to teach you. But in terms of my own colleagues, my own peers, I email one of my colleagues, maybe not daily, but I'm reaching out to my colleagues weekly. Um, anytime a challenge comes up, I'm reaching out to them to figure out how they've tackled it. If uh, some bit of information comes across my desk that I think you know, that may be beneficial to them, I absolutely share it. You know, anytime email phishing and you know, malware, crypto locker, these are all things that have become, unfortunately, very prevalent in healthcare. Anytime we encounter an email that may potentially be a threat, I actually forward a copy of that to my peers to say, hey, guys, just want you to know we saw this. Be aware of it. Be ready to show your end users. And they do the same for me. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very close. But in terms of like my own specific mentors, my first mentor was actually my first chief financial officer. He knew nothing about IT, um, nothing, other than he appreciated the fact that, well, without IT, you can't have healthcare nowadays. Um, his name is Jason McCormick. If you ever have a chance to speak with him, he's, he's very brilliant. Uh, he taught me an awful lot about patients about trying to see the big picture and not getting caught up, caught up in the weeds of things too bad. Don't forget about the forest for the trees. Yeah. I'd say that's probably the thing I've been able to take most from him is, yeah, you got to deal with day to day. You have to maintain that balance of, of making sure that people are taken care of today, but you kind of have to be a, a fortune teller in, in ways because you have to have your eye on your crystal ball too. Mm. So you've got crystal ball sitting in front of you with a mirror so you can kind of look to see where you're coming from. 
but I, I've been pretty fortunate in my career to, to work with, you know, intelligent and capable people everywhere I've went. And I've tried to at least incorporate some of the best things from them everywhere I've gone. Yeah. Whether I've done it right or not, who knows. But. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah, it goes back to what you said um, when you first started the role at, at Lincoln. Everyone can teach you something, and it seems like a really good philosophy to have. I'd like to think so. Okay. All right. Well, I think that that covers what I wanted to ask. don't know if you had anything else to add, but I really appreciate you giving so much time for us. Oh, of course. No, thank you for being interested. We're often overlooked, and um, publications like yours absolutely help to shed the spotlight, which was what we need. We just need attention. So. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, I'm sure I'll be in touch soon, and uh, thanks again for your time. Thanks, Kate. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.